You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Let's look in our blessed book here. I hope that you love your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 11. What an incredible privilege we have to be able to have this Word of God in front of us. Yes, let's go ahead and stand once you find your place there. Jeremiah chapter 11, we'll go ahead and read what we read a couple weeks ago, uh, just verse 1 through verse 5. And I want you to notice a couple key words here with me because it's important, kind of a springboard as we get into this, uh, this new portion of Jeremiah. Remember that Jeremiah 10 ended his temple sermon And now it's getting into a new message that God is going to give to Jeremiah. What is this new message about? If we understand the subject of the message, then we can understand the purpose of the message. So try to see if you can't find the subject of this message. In verse 1 of chapter 11, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Hear ye the words of this what? Covenant. There we go. There's the subject. Once we understand the subject of the message, now we can understand the purpose. But let's keep reading. And speak unto the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice and do them. According to all which I command you, so shall ye be my people, and I will be your God. It was that simple. It was that simple. Obey me, I'll be your God. Obey me, you'll be my people. I've told you that from the very beginning. Cursed is the one who disobeys. Blessed is the one who obeys. And Jeremiah is coming back and reminding them of this. This hasn't changed. It's been, it's been years now, hundreds of years, uh, decade after decade after decade since this covenant has been given. And Jeremiah is reminding him, God's viewpoint of this hasn't changed. His message hasn't changed. His call to you hasn't changed. Look in verse 5. That I may perform the oath which I have sworn unto your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. Then answered I and said, I love this answer from Jeremiah, so be it. Oh, Lord. Heavenly Father, please help us to learn from your word. Thank you for it. Please remove distractions. Let your Holy Spirit uh, guide us and lead us. Just help us to leave tonight to knowing just a little bit more about this book, seeing the, uh, the purpose of it, and then also how we can apply it to our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. All throughout this book, we've only gotten up to chapter 10 so far, but have you noticed all throughout this book, Jeremiah's heart is being brought out. I heard somebody say, Jeremiah was a man who could not be separated from his message. The man and the message were one. He had a very difficult message to give. A message of judgment, but also a message of hope. Future hope after that judgment came. But Jeremiah didn't see Jerusalem as some city or that city or this city. He saw it as my city. He didn't see Judah as those people or that people or even God's people. He saw them as his people. And so when he has to deliver this message to, of course, God's people, but he put himself in that, he, his heart had to overflow. He was known as the weeping prophet and his great desire that we see over and over again for his people 
was for them to repent and turn to God. And when he keeps on hearing from God, God even goes so far as to say, stop praying for them. They've gone too far. Jeremiah would get to this point and say, I, I wish that my, my uh, tears would overflow. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician left in Judah? And if there is, then why, are, why is this such a hopeless situation? He poured out his soul in the temple sermon. People, he doesn't know whether they listened or not. We're going to kind of figure out today. But now God gives him this new message, and it's all about the law. It's all about the covenant. Because remember, it was the law that taught them not to worship idols. They're worshiping idols. Well, it was the law that told them, don't do that. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Um, thou shalt set up no graven image. But they disobeyed the law, they ignored the covenant, and now they're worshiping other idols. It was the law that told them, do not mingle with the heathen. They were disobeying the law, mingling with the heathen, and that's why now the, the, um, the diseases and the idols and the immorality of the heathen have come into their life. It was the law that told them to do that and to avoid that. Uh, remember right around this time in Jeremiah's ministry is when Josiah found the book of the law. And they went back, and he brings this sweeping reformation. Now, Je Josiah truly meant it, but the people did not. The Bible says they turned to, turned to the Lord, but faintly. They didn't turn to him with their whole heart. Now, this message that Jeremiah says, so be it, Lord, I'll give this message, it brings kind of a five-fold purpose. Purpose number one is in verse 6 through 10. It was to remind them that obedience to God's law was the only requirement he had placed on his people from the beginning. Look in verse 6. Then the Lord said unto me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear ye the words of this covenant and do them. For I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, unto this day rising early and protesting, saying, Obey my voice, yet they obeyed not. My law, my commandment is simply this, just obey me. Doesn't the Lord say, doesn't Jesus say in the New Testament, if you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and the second, law is, uh, the second commandment is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself, you can wrap up all the law and the prophets into that one great commandment. Because if you loved the Lord, you would obey him. And if you obeyed him, you wouldn't have to do all the other things that the law told you to do. You would simply do it out of love. The second thing, uh, now we spent a lot of time a couple weeks ago talking about how God points out the reason that this generation is following in disobedience is because the fathers did so. And let us not be surprised, parents, if our generation teaches our children how to disobey, they're going to follow in those footsteps. They are watching us. They are looking to us. Help us to lead in the right way. And that's going to come back. The second thing in verse 11, what is, what is the second purpose of this message here? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Here's point number two in God's message. Disobedience to God's law always brings punishment. Always. You can never escape that. What's the third thing he wants to teach? Look in verse 11 through 14. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape, and though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense, but they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. 
For according to the number of thy cities were thy gods, O Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, have ye set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal. The second time now God tells Jeremiah, Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or a prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. You can't worship idols and expect them to save you. The idols that they worship will not be able to save. Verse 15, look what he says. This is a, a horrifying question. What hath my beloved to do in mine house, she, seeing she has wrought lewdness with many, and the holy flesh is passed from thee? He uses another illustration of idolatry being compared to adultery, saying Judah and Israel, they were, they were my bride, my wife. Why am I going to let my bride, my wife, live in my house when she's being unfaithful to me? Look at the end. When thou doest evil, the end of verse 15. When thou doest evil, then thou rejoicest. What a horrible condition. Look in verse 16 and 17, the last point of God's message. So point number one was all I've told you from the beginning is to obey me. Point number two, disobedience to my law brings cursing and brings punishment. Point number three, the idols that you're worshiping and that you love so much will not be able to save you from that punishment. Point number four, you can't worship idols and then come and worship me like nothing's wrong. You can't go off like a wife and being unfaithful and then come home and expect to eat at my table. No, no, that's not how it works. And point number five, remember, as you're leaving my house and worshiping other people, as you're coming back to my temple and acting like everything's fine, as you are choosing over and over to worship Baal and worship Molech and worship Ashtaroth and all those hateful things, were they the ones who made you who you were? Were they the ones who brought you out of Egypt? Were they the ones out of all of the nations that picked you out, not because you were the greatest nation, but because I loved you? Were they the ones who did that? Absolutely not. Look in verse 16. The Lord called thy name. Beginning in verse 18 now, we have this very abrupt transition. And you have to watch for that when you're reading these books of prophecy. Remember, the, the chapter divisions and everything aren't necessarily inspired, right? Okay, so when you are reading and you see kind of an abrupt transition, you need to stop. You need to take some time. You need to figure out, okay, is this a different train of thought? And certainly it is. We have this abrupt transition from this message that God has given to Jeremiah. And now it's a new message and the message is Jeremiah is finding out from God the men of Anathoth, which is Jeremiah's hometown. The men of Anathoth, Jeremiah, want to kill you. So your temple sermon didn't go too well. He gets up there and he preaches, he bears his soul out, and then the men say, oh great, that was one of our people, wasn't it? Well, let's just get rid of him. And God explains it to him, look in verse uh, 18. And the Lord hath given me knowledge of it, and I know it. Then thou showest me their doings. But I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. And I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be no more remembered. But, O Lord of hosts, that judgest righteously, that triest the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I revealed thy, my cause. Therefore, thus saith the Lord... Of the men of Anathoth that seek thy life, look at verse 22. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will punish them. Jeremiah is told 
this, these people. And so think about this before we move on. I want us to think about how Jeremiah is feeling at this moment, okay? He's just bored out his soul. He loves his people dearly. He's done nothing but plead to God on their behalf, seek for their repentance, do everything he can to um, bring their repentance so that they can be saved from captivity. No doubt he's lost sleep. No doubt he's spent time in prayer. No doubt he's shed tears. All to have the people from his hometown, his friends, the people he grew up with, his family perhaps, say, let's kill him. How do you think he's feeling at the moment? A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. Now, there are a lot of people in the Bible that that wouldn't have bothered. There are some people, they just have a thick skin. There are some people in the Bible that wouldn't have bothered one bit. There are some people in this world that wouldn't bother one bit. But this is Jeremiah we're talking about, the weeping prophet. This, he couldn't understand. Lord, why would, they, why would they wish to kill me when I'm only trying to help them? Why would they wish to kill me when I love them? And he even looks to, to the Lord in the next chapter. Wait a second, Lord, why would you even let them get to the planning stage in this? When I'm just trying to help. And it sounds like they've gotten pretty far with this. How is this happening? Look in verse uh, 1 of chapter 12. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Have you ever started a prayer like that with the Lord? Lord, I know you're righteous. I know you are. And when I plead with you, I know that you're always right. But can I just ask you a question? Right? And that's what Jeremiah is doing. Let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Why, how come... When I stand in front of the people, let's turn back, let's repent, let's go back to the Lord. I can't get one person to listen to me. But when somebody from my, you know what, we should just kill Jeremiah. He, they've got everyone. Everyone listens to that message. Why don't they listen to mine? Lord, what is going on here? I don't understand that. And he keeps on asking him all these questions in verse 1 of 2 of chapter 12. And it's all about Jeremiah's complaint before God. Why does it seem like you bless them, even though you're near in their mouth, but far from their heart? All they do is talk about you, but they never back it up. Why are you, why are you allowing them to continue? Because they're allowed to continue, they get the impression that everything's good. They get the impression that you just don't see what they're doing. Now, here's God's answer to this complaint. And I don't think Jeremiah would have liked it. But it's so true. God's answer to Jeremiah's complaint is, Jeremiah, if you think this is bad, this is nothing compared to what you're going to face later in your ministry. Look in verse 5. If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, tell me, how shalt thou contend with the horses? Do you get what God is saying? Yes, Jeremiah, the men of Anathoth want to kill thee, want to kill you. Okay, you still got a long ministry to go. You just wait and see. How, right now, look at, look at what else he says in the end of verse 5. If in the land of peace wherein thou trustest they weary thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? If you can't trust in me right now to deliver you from the, a few men from your city, how are you going to trust me to deliver you when all of Jerusalem turns against you? And they will. And he told them that from the very beginning. Jeremiah had to learn this lesson the very hard way. Now, listen, nobody likes it 
Let's apply this to us. Nobody likes it when the men of Anathoth in our lives turn against us. Nobody likes that. And we pray and we say, God, deal with them. Get it out of the way. This is a mountain. This is an obstacle. This is a weight. This is adversity in my life. Would you get it out of the way? And what does God do? He never changes your circumstances. He says, I want to change you through the circumstances. The mountain that we're saying, Lord, get out of the way. He says, why don't I give you strength to climb it instead? The obstacle in the way becomes the way. Nobody likes it. And God will take care of those people, but not until he uses them to prepare us for what's coming next. Remember David, I'm sure he didn't like the bear. I'm sure he didn't like the lion. But when he faced Goliath, he was very happy that the Lord had brought those things to him before. And if he had quit in the bear, if he had quit when the lion came, no way he would have faced Goliath. No way at all. Jeremiah was hurt because Anathoth had turned against him. But think about this. Think of the millions of people that had turned against God. Perhaps Jeremiah felt some reason to complain to God because his own countrymen had turned against him. But it seems in this next chapter that God basically says, Jeremiah, how do you think I feel? I get it. It's not good that the, the men of your city are turning against you. But look at my people. Look at what my people have done. Uh, let's see. Look in verse 7 through 11 of chapter 12. Uh, he, oh, look in verse 8. Mine heritage is unto me as a lion in the forest. It crieth out against me, therefore have I hated it. Mine heritage is unto me as a speckled bird. The birds round about are against her. He's basically saying that the people have turned on me. My pastors have destroyed my vineyard, he goes on to say. They've made the land that I gave them to be desolate with their sin. And he says, and that's why the land needs to be punished. And he says, I'm not only going to punish my people, but I'm going to punish the heathen people as well. But it's all for a reason. He says, it's all for a reason. I'm going to give everybody a chance after the punishment. That's very important. After the punishment, I'm going to give everybody a chance to turn back to me. Not only his people, but the heathen people as well. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. Now, I say after the punishment is very important because we need to think of what's happening up to this point if we're going to understand the book. Because the book is kind of like an anthology. It's a, it's a compilation of compilations. It is not only the messages of Jeremiah, but it's kind of like a, a biography of Jeremiah. It's not only his message, but it's all about the man. And whenever we see the man in accordance with his message, we see Jeremiah wanting one thing. I want my people to repent. Because what does the Bible promise? What does God promise? When you repent, I will have mercy. Jeremiah knows that. That is God's word. That is his promise. He is obligated to that. So Jeremiah is saying, my ministry then, I want to get God's people to repent. Repent, turn back to God, therefore you can avoid this punishment. That's Jeremiah's message. On the other hand, we have God telling Jeremiah, oh, punishment's coming. I mean, God's keep, God keeps using language that seems to be hopeless. Stop praying for them, Jeremiah. Two times he's told them now, stop praying for them. But Jeremiah knows in the Bible, it says repentance always brings mercy, does it not? So I need to talk to my people and preach to the people so that they can repent. But God keeps coming back. And the only hope that God talks about is after punishment. 
No, after the punishment, then the people will come back to me. But until the punishment happens, no, no hope. Jeremiah is praying for repentance before the punishment, but God just keeps saying, no, punishment's coming. Why is this the case? Now, first of all, the easy answer is, let's remember, Jeremiah sees this, and God sees this, okay? Who are we to question God, right? Uh, but in chapter 13, God sheds kind of a painful light on why he is determined to bring punishment. And he, he gives Jeremiah a sign. In verse 1 through 11, he, he gives Jeremiah kind of an object lesson. Kids, you do an object lesson on the bus, right? This is an object lesson that God gives to Jeremiah. And it's very involved, okay? Jeremiah is living in Jerusalem. And God says, I want you to go and buy a new linen girdle. Now, it's not a girdle like we think today, okay? It's a loincloth. And a linen one, a linen loincloth or girdle, is one that priests would wear, okay? And God says, I want you to go and I want you to get one of those. And I want you to take that linen girdle and hide it in the hole of a rock by the Euphrates River. Time out. If we know geography, Jerusalem's here. Euphrates River is a long way away. It's not like he could just hop on a plane and go. This was a huge trip, but this was the object lesson. Go, hide it in the, river, hide it in the hole of a rock by the river Euphrates, and leave it. Jeremiah does so. And then the Bible says, after many days, in verse 6, it came to pass, after many days, that the Lord said unto me, go get it again. Make the trip all the way. Oh, very interesting. What kingdom is the Euphrates River in? The Babylonian kingdom. Okay? So God says, take this linen cloth into the Babylonian kingdom, hide it there. After many days, we don't know how many, go and get it. Now, how do you think that linen girdle is going to have held up through that time? Not well at all. Look in verse 7. I went to Euphrates, dig, took the girdle from the place where I hid it, and behold, the girdle was marred. It was profitable for nothing. And I've officially used the word girdle more than I ever have in my life. So... God says, this is exactly what I'm going to do with the pride of Judah. I will mar the pride of Judah, God says. Now, how bad is this pride? Because remember, it is pride that keeps people from repentance, correct? Jeremiah says, I just need to get the people to repent. That's it. If they can repent, they can have mercy. God says, no, 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 punishment's coming. So he gives this object lesson. This girdle is going to show you how much I'm going to mar the pride of Judah and Jerusalem. Well, how bad can this pride be? Well, here's how bad it is. God has Jeremiah put it to the test. He tells them in verse 12, tell the people of Israel, every bottle shall be filled with wine. And look at their answer. Do we not certainly know that every bottle shall be filled with wine? Of course it will be. Wine, of course, was a, a picture of bounty and, and plenteousness, right? So God says, Jeremiah, tell them every bottle is going to be filled with wine. Well, we know that. Of course it is. Everything's good here. And then God comes back and says, no, 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 no. No, not the wine of celebration. The wine of drunkenness. That is how bad your pride is. And in your drunkenness, you're going to turn against one another. Fathers and sons are going to fight with each other. And God says, and I'm going to show you no mercy in it all. So Jeremiah, hearing that, says in verse 15 through 22, be not proud. 
He goes to the people, be not proud, um, for the Lord hath spoken in verse 15. Give glory to the Lord your God. Don't give glory to yourself give, or glory to these idols. Give glory to the Lord. He even says in verse 18, say unto the king and the queen, humble yourself. Humble yourself and turn to the Lord or else punishment is going to come. Jeremiah's message to humble themselves is simple and pointed but in verse 23 through 27, look at what God says. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Do we see what God is? How do you, how do you kind of put those two together? Because some people make a very compelling argument. Well, if God already knows what we're going to do, then we don't have a free will, do we? Listen, okay, Everly's asleep, but all right. So I know my child. I'm an imperfect person, but I know my child. If I were to take her to a playground and follow her around, it's her choice of where she's going to go. But knowing Everly, if there's a choice between the monkey bars or the slide, I know which one she's choosing because I know my child. Now, it's her choice, but I can tell you exactly what she's going to do because I know her. If I present her a choice between a certain candy, Everly, which one do you want? It's your choice. Yes, it's her choice. She has a free will. But I know my child. I know which one she's going to take. God has all knowledge. He's omniscient. You have a free will to choose. But he knows what you're going to choose. He knows you perfectly. And so he knows these people. And Jeremiah is saying, Lord, but we, I, I have hope. I have hope. I'm going to keep on preaching and praying that they repent. And he says, Jeremiah, stop praying. They're not going to choose it. They're not going to choose it. They're too proud. They've gone too far. Do you see what God is saying? I, th these commentators come in. This shows us that we don't have a free will. Pfft, don't believe that one bit. God said a leopard would sooner change his spots and Ethiopian would change his skin. They had shown themselves to be determined to do wrong, so God was showing himself to be determined to punish. But Jeremiah loved his people. Not as much as God loved his people, certainly. But Jeremiah loved his people. His heart was knit to theirs. And even though they were ignoring him and mocking him, even plotting to kill him, he still desired for them to come to repentance. Chapter 14 tells about this time when Judah is suffering through a horrible drought or a dearth, the Bible calls it. The people are mourning. They're searching high and low for water, can't find any. The, even the animals are suffering. The animals don't know where to find any water. It's an obvious consequence of their wickedness. Now, God told Solomon that this would happen. He said, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain. He says, if my people turn against me, and if I shut up heaven that there be no rain. Now, Jeremiah would have known that God said that. This is a dearth, this is a drought, because we have sinned against him. But he also, Jeremiah also would have known the next verse. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will forgive their land. So Jeremiah knew that. And if he couldn't convince the people to humble themselves, if he couldn't convince the people to turn, if he couldn't convince the people to repent, perhaps he could pray on their behalf. Now, many prophets had done that. So he's going to do that. And what we have... Through the rest of the chapter and into chapter 15, and that is all I'm going to be able to get through tonight. I have 15 more pages of notes. So we'll get through chapter 15. But what we have from here through the end of chapter 15 
is this back and forth discussion between Jeremiah and God. And it's just going to go, Jeremiah, it's going to start with Jeremiah's prayer in chapter 14, and then God is going to respond to that prayer. And then Jeremiah is going to respond to that response. Some people could call this an argument. Uh, it, could, it quickly devolves into that, okay? Now, I don't believe you should argue with God. Job found himself in trouble when he was questioning God, and uh, Elijah questioned God, and Jonah questioned God. It's not right. Because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that the Bible is condoning it. It's reporting it. This is where Jeremiah was coming from. But it's, we have this discussion here, and I want us to look at it. It starts with uh, chapter 14, verse 7, with Jeremiah's prayer on behalf of Judah. And he basically says, I know we don't deserve it, but forgive us for your name's sake. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. For our backslidings are many, we have sinned against thee. O the hope of Israel, the savior thereof in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land? And as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night, why shouldest thou be as a man astonied, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. We're your people. Don't leave us. Why are you withholding your salvation from us? And God answers, verse 10 through 12. He says, I, I haven't forsaken my people. They've wandered from me. I haven't gone anywhere. Church, if we are not closer to God than we are yesterday, he's right where you left him. If we've gotten away from God, he's right where you left him. If you've gotten away from your Bible reading, he's there. That's where you left him, he's there. If you're away from him because you haven't prayed in a while, that's where you left him, that's where he is. If you've gotten away from church, that's where he is. God is always right where you left him. And the great thing is, the day that you start coming back to him, Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. God said, I haven't left my people, Jeremiah. They have left me. Look in verse 10. Thus saith the Lord unto his people, they have loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquity and visit their sin. The third time now, Jeremiah, stop. Stop praying for these people. You're wasting your time. How devastating for a preacher to hear. How devastating for a prophet to hear. But God tells him clearly, you're wasting your breath. When they fast, I won't hear them. When they give offerings, I won't accept them. And then he says this, and it's something that he continues to say throughout the rest of the book. I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Jeremiah replies in verse 13, Lord, you say that you're going to consume them with the sword and famine and pestilence, but the prophets are telling them peace is coming. Do you see that? You're saying one thing. But the prophets who are prophesying in your name are saying to these people that peace is coming. God's response is going to be, Jeremiah didn't send those people. Yes, they're prophesying in my name, but I didn't call them. I didn't tell them to say that. No peace is coming. In verse 14 through uh, 17, God replies uh, that. I never sent them. And he says this, the very prophets who say that there will be no sword or famine are going to die by sword and famine along with the people that they are lying to. Jeremiah replies in verse 18 through 22. Let's read it. If I go forth into the field, then behold, the slain with the sword. And if I enter into the city, then behold, that are sick with famine. 
Yea, both the prophet and the priest go about into a land that they know not. Hast thou utterly rejected Judah? Hast thy soul loathed Zion? Why hast thou smitten us and there is no healing for us? We looked for peace and there is no good and for the time of healing and behold trouble. We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. Do not abhor us. For thy name's sake, do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. Remember, break not thy covenant with us. Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Art thou, are not thou he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait upon thee, for thou hast made all these things. What an incredible prayer. This is it, Lord? No hope? Hast thou, have you utterly rejected us? Has thy soul loathed thy people? I know that we've broken the covenant. The covenant. Are you breaking your covenant with us? Lord, I don't understand. Jeremiah sees no hope. In chapter 15, God responds again to Jeremiah's prayer. And look what God says. Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Jeremiah, this is nothing against you. That's a powerful prayer. But not even Moses and Samuel could change my mind. Now, Jeremiah was a great man, but he was no Samuel. He was no Moses. And God says, even if they come back, I wouldn't even listen to their prayers to spare my people. They've gone too far. God had made his decision. Had God not been patient with his people? Had God not given them chance after chance after chance? Think of all the times just before they even got to Canaan that Moses had to say, God, don't kill him. Whatever you do, don't kill him. How many times did God say, Moses, get out of the way. I'm done. Get out of the way. I'm going to start a new nation with you. And then Moses said, no, 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 Lord. Then the Egyptians are going to think you just brought him out into the desert in order to kill him. No, no, no. Remember your covenant. And then the next day, Moses says, God, kill him. They're so frustrating. And then God says, no, 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 give him a chance. And then the next day, God, all right, Moses, get out of the way. We're going to take care of this. So many times, so many times he had, he had changed his mind. Okay, fine, I'll give you another chance. I'll give you another chance. But no more. Look at what he says at the end of verse 6. I'm weary with repenting. I am, I'm done giving you another chance. You've gone too far. Jeremiah responds with something that is very, it's, it's sadly humorous. Verse 10, woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I feel sorry that of all the people that my precious mother had to give birth to, she had to give birth to the one who had to tell the whole earth that God was angry with him. <laughs> that was Jeremiah's response to God's, to God's answer. He said, I've never been unfair to anybody, yet everybody hates me because of the message that I have to give. And God responds. He says, Jeremiah, I know it's a very difficult time, but I will bring good out of it. Let's read it in verse 11 through 14. The Lord said, verily it shall be well with thy remnant, and it'll be well with you, Jeremiah. Very well, uh, verily, I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. 
Jeremiah responds in verse 15 through 18. And I want to read this. O Lord, thou knowest. Remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Jeremiah is asking God to remember his ministry, to remember his faithfulness, to remember how he was always there to share the message that God had given him, even though it was a difficult message. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with, that, with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? That is a bold prayer. That's a foolish prayer. But if anything, we can say, that's an honest prayer. It goes along with what I preached this morning. Church, there are going to be times when we're down. Sin is what brings us down, whether it's sin in our life or just the fact that we live in a sinful world. And it's certainly a sin to stay down, always. We need to get back up. What do I mean by get back up? I'm... It doesn't mean we're never going to have days when we're sorrowful. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But getting back up means even through sorrow we serve. And even through questions we serve. And even through wounds we fight. And even through battles we war. And we don't allow, we don't allow the devil to keep us down. For every one person I know who has learned how to serve through sorrow, I know hundreds who have used their sorrow as an excuse to stop serving. And I know many more who have been brought down because of sin and the devil convinced them because sin brought you low, you need to stay down and you need to give up. Jeremiah here is going through a very difficult time to the point where he even asked God, God, are you lying to me? Did you lie to me? You told me you would strengthen me. Why do I feel so weak? You told me to preach. Why won't people listen? You told us that repentance brings mercy. Why are you saying that your people are beyond hope? Did you lie to me? Has the fountain of living waters dried up? Very honest prayer. And I want us to see how God answers that prayer. I want us to see that God answers it with sternness, but he also answers it with mercy. There are some prayers that I read in the Bible where I'm thinking like, Abraham, do you know who you're talking to? When he's praying over Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Can you say that? <laughs> and surely we must be careful. We are approaching the king of kings. The Lord of lords, we are in the throne room of God. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, he is in heaven and we are on earth. Let our words be few. Let them be chosen carefully. Let us make sure we remember who we are talking to. Sometimes we forget who we're talking to. But he never forgets who he's talking to. The Bible says he remembers our frame and he remembers, he knows that we are but dust. And look at how God answers 
his prayer. We're going to have foolish thoughts. Elijah under that juniper tree said, Lord, I alone, I alone am left. And God says, Elijah, get up. I have 7,000 people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You are not alone. Get back up. Now, before he told him to get back up, he said, why don't you have some cake and take a nap? <laughs> First Kings 19, <laughs> have some cake, take a nap, and now get back up and keep going. I have 7,000 people. That was a foolish thought on Elijah's part. We're going to ask foolish questions like the disciples waking up Jesus in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Lord, carest thou not that we perish? <laughs> Does Jesus care? That is a really foolish question. He died for us. Of course he cares for us. But sometimes we have foolish thoughts and we ask foolish questions. But remember, even the thought of foolishness is sin. See how God handles Jeremiah. Look in verse 19. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah, if thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. This is a choice here. Where is Jeremiah standing? He's standing in God's will, in the ministry, doing what he's supposed to do, saying what he's supposed to say, and he's running into adversity because of it. And now he says, Lord, it's like you lied to me. And God says, Jeremiah, if you return, one day I'm going to bring you back and you're going to stand before me. But if you stay and you separate the precious from the vile, that's what you're doing right now, I'll use you. You'll be as my mouth. Let's keep reading. Let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. And I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. God says, Jeremiah, if you turn back from what I've told you to do, if you back down from what I've told you to say, you will stand before me for it. But if you keep going, keep separating the precious from the vile, keep saying what I told you to say, Keep doing what I told you to do. You'll be as my mouth. Later, he says, Jeremiah, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. They're going to attack. They're going to bite, and they're going to bark. But you'll be standing. Church, God will never let you stand alone, so you stand strong. How many times, look in verse 17, I sat alone because of thy hand. We will be ridiculed when we share God's message with the world. We will be lonely. Church, when's the last time you sat alone at work because you were a Christian? When's the last time you had to be a little lonely because of what you believed? And have you ever been tempted? If I just backed down a little bit, I wouldn't have so much trouble. And have you ever gotten to the point where you question, like, Lord, you say in your word that if I stand, that this is going to happen, and if I say this, that this is going to happen, and it seems like none of that is happening. So am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I saying what I'm supposed to say? Because I am not seeing the results. I'm not seeing the harvest. I keep sowing and sowing and sowing, and nothing comes. It, it seems like if I just change things a little bit, it would be a little bit easier. And God tells you what he told Jeremiah. Don't you back down from what I told you to say. 
Don't you back down from where I told you to stand. If you do, you'll stand before me one day for it. You stay strong. You keep on saying what I tell you to say. You keep on standing where I tell you to stand, and you'll be as my mouth. And I'll make sure that you are protected. It was not Jeremiah's job to reach up and grab God and bring him down to his people's level. He said, don't you dare return unto them. Let them return to you. You are standing where you're supposed to stand. They're not. If somebody is drowning in quicksand, you don't save them by jumping into it with them. You stay on dry ground and you reach out. Now, there are some people who say, I want to stay in the quicksand. You can't help those people. But you stay on dry ground. Don't return to them. Let them return to you. We are not, church, it is not our message to bring God down. It is our job to grab man and bring them up to God. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Yes, we are looking for a way for God to be reconciled to man. That was Jesus' ministry, and we carry on his ministry. The words that he spoke and the works that he did are carried on through his children. But we have too many people who see people who are low. No, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live holy. I don't want to do any of that. Okay, that's fine. We'll bring God down to you. No! No! Stand strong. And here's why. Isn't one of the big problems going on right now, the Bible says in chapter 5, verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. People love when God is brought down to their level. People have to get low and humble and confess some sin in order to be brought up to him. And we have this movement today of people who love prophets prophesying their own words, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. But what did God say? What will ye do in the end thereof? And church, do not fall into this. Man, it seems like the church that waters down their gospel has thousands of people show up there every single day. And it seems like if we were to just change a couple things, if we were just to let up on the standards just a little bit, if we were just to, you know, not preach so harshly, if we were just not to be so confrontational, things would be a little bit easier, wouldn't they? Yes, they would. But what will we do in the end thereof? And that next chapter, God says, Jeremiah, tell them, thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways. Here's one way of God's word. Here's another way of the prophets prophesying falsely. Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where's the good way? And walk therein. But the people said, no, we won't walk therein. Church, we can't help that. God is God and he is holy and righteous and just. And if we will be close to him, we must be holy as well. And Jeremiah seems to get into this point where he's thinking, Lord, am I doing, am I, am I doing everything right? Because I'm not seeing the results. He said, young man, you stay strong. Don't you return to them. Let them return to you. And church, I say the same to us tonight. Stay strong. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. 
For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.